0: Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Ready to go? Right on. Well, tonight we have Recovering Couples in the House and I'm gonna let them introduce themselves um, because I am just kind of excited to hear the story about how you guys got involved with Recovering Couples and also to share the information that this program is going on, right? So yeah, please take it away.
1: Thanks, David. You're welcome. Yes, there is a 12-step program for couples known as Recovering Couples Anonymous, RCA. This is a couples program based on and adapted from the 12 steps of AA And the only requirement for RCA membership is a desire to remain in a committed relationship. My name is Annie in recovery with Russ.
2: And I'm Russ in recovery with Annie.
1: And we're members of the 12-step program for couples. RCA, Recovering Couples Anonymous, was founded in 1988 in the U.S. and is now, in just over 30 years, an international organization with meetings in the Americas, Europe, the Pacific, and Africa. RCA was formed as an offshoot of the We We Came to Believe program. The founders said that some of us began our 12-step recovery in RCA, but many of us who had begun to recover in individual programs found that we could no longer relate to our partners in the same old dysfunctional ways. Many of us separated, coming close to permanent separation or divorce. Unwilling to abandon our partners, we sought ways to heal our coupleship, through RCA, we learned new ways of relating and solving our problems. We discovered greater levels of intimacy.
2: Like other 12 step programs, RCA is a spiritual program, not a religious program, and we encourage members to invite their higher power into their step work. In RCA, we think of our lives in coupleships as being represented by a three legged stool commitment, communication, and caring. The legs can also represent our individual recovery our partner's individual recovery, and our coupleship recovery. We believe that each partner is 100% responsible for the health or dysfunction of the coupleship. We accept mutual responsibility for the problems and progress of the coupleship, and both recognize our own individual development and recovery as essential factors for couple recovery. We'd like to share our story with you using the outline used by many 12-step programs, how it was, what happened, and how it is now. After that, we'd like to take a few minutes to share some of the tools that have helped to heal our coupleship and restore us to the serenity, stability, and intimacy we seek. Right on.
1: So I'll start. I'm Annie in recovery with Russ. Hi, Annie. Hi, Annie. So Russ and I have been married 44 years, and we've been in RCA for seven. I've been a member of an individual program for 18 years, And I have to say that things improved greatly for both of us once I started to work my program. I started to mind my own business and focus on myself. I realized I had a part in the addictions dynamic and that I was addicted to relationships and I was codependent. I believe Russ and I were attracted to each other because our addictions were complementary. He was an alcoholic who needed to be saved and I was just the person to do it. In my family of origin, alcohol was readily available and it became one of the ways that I learned to cope with loneliness and fear. My father was a shy man and alcohol loosened him up. It did the same for me. When Russ and I first met, we were basically drinking buddies. Early in our relationship, I had a car accident. This was a huge spiritual awakening for me before I knew that word, spiritual awakening. (laughs) I realized that if I didn't stop drinking, I would die, and I said that to Russ. I faced the shame of standing in front of a judge and pleading guilty to a criminal offense, drinking and driving, and illegal possession. I swore to Russ that I would stop drinking, which I did, though I flirted with alcohol over the years, thinking I could drink without it escalating. But eventually I quit for good. I thought Russ had quit with me, but he continued drinking. And he'll talk about his story. We had many dysfunctional patterns in our marriage. One I'd like to mention is our lack of intimacy, a common issue with lots of couples. Um, I don't mean just sexual intimacy, although that was one aspect of our estrangement. What I mean is connecting on a heart level and sharing what's most important to us, revealing ourselves to each other emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. When I didn't feel heard, I would create a drama at the most inconvenient times, usually when we were both tired and finished a day—a long day at work. I would beg for his love and attention, and under duress, he would comply. This filled our tanks for a while, but eventually was depleted, and the drama was repeated. I had another rude awakening when I basically took off after one of our difficult times. I drove out into the countryside into the night. I ended up in Red Deer uh, where um, I went to a friend's home. And um, I told her that I believed that unless Russ and I found help, our marriage was over. And that's when we went to our first marriage encounter. We were going to church at the time, and this was a weekend we learned about in our church. And um, it was very helpful in, in in helping us with some communication skills and hope in particular. So over the years, we went to four marriage encounters and joined a group of couples who supported each other in their marriages. This provided a spiritual, social, emotional, and psychological support for us. As part of Marriage Encounter, we became part of a, what is called a love circle. This was a group of couples that met about once a month with a programmed to support our marriage, and it was very helpful. Um, so about 20 years ago, Russ told me that he'd been drinking secretly. And it was a huge relief to me. It explained so much about why we were having so many struggles. And shortly after that, actually it was four years after, our son told us that he was a drug addict. He had been uh, he had been really good student in, in uh, school... And we had high hopes for him. And he went to university for a year, year and a half. He hated it. And he dropped out. And we didn't know that he was into drugs at that time. Um, but what he did, once he, and he didn't tell us until he was clean. He, he was, uh, he told us that, um, he suggested that we have meetings as mm-hmm. a family. And they were, they were modeled after the NA meetings and um, I didn't know that at the time, but once I started him. going to meetings, I, I realized that that's what, what it was. And what he would say is that we've got to talk about our feelings. Mm-hmm. Our family has a problem, and we got to talk about our feelings. And I remember one night in particular, it was another awakening, uh, when after one of these meetings, it was awkward, it was painful sometimes, um, he said, you guys think that if I just got better, that our family would be healed. Mm. And he said, we all have a problem, and you guys don't get it. And uh, that was, I think he said it to me before, to us, and I finally got it. And that's when I I decided that I was going to be going to Al-Anon. I started going to Al-Anon. Within six months, another daughter started going to Al-Anon as well. And then um, our youngest started going to a different program um, uh, within about a year. So once we were in program, there were a lot of changes in our family. The first thing I learned was to get off my husband's back. Minding my own business and focusing on myself were painful messages, but they started to make a difference for both of us. I really didn't know that taking care of everyone in every possible way, especially those close to me, was not my job. I learned to set boundaries, and though saying no was not a part of my vocabulary back then, I learned to to become more um, discerning. I began to trust my intuition and respect myself. I realized I could make choices that pleased me. This was a new territory for a good Catholic girl that had been conditioned to please others. I remember a friend uh, at one of the meetings. It, this made a big impression on me. She was talking about uh, meet, a meeting with her husband, and uh, they were going—they were getting a divorce—and mm-hmm. uh, they were meeting for coffee just to sort of iron out some of the details. And she said, "He said to her, What do you what do you uh, think I should do?'" And she said, "Probably for the first time in my life, I didn't know what he should do." And uh, that was a wake-up call for me because I realized that I often thought I knew what my husband should be doing and what uh, my own you know, loved ones should be doing. And it was the beginning of detachment for me. Along with that, I started to get to know myself and do the things that I enjoyed doing. I would lost myself in this relationship and had to befriend myself all over again. So both of us, over the years, avoided our relationship problems in many ways. Uh, Russ was, uh, he worked hard. He would call himself a workaholic. And um, I got religion. That was the way that I coped. And um, I became very self-righteous. I spent hours doing good works in my parish. I spent lots of evenings. Sometimes I'd be out, Russ would come home, we'd have supper, I was gone. And, that, and I did that for a long time. I didn't know until after recovery that I was very good at justifying, minimizing, denying, and deluding myself that there were any problems. I'd convinced myself that here we are, you know, we're church, going to church, I'm involved in church, there's nothing wrong. And I remember one woman saying to me one time, it's so great to see your family all sitting so nicely in the pews. And I thought that's exactly what... I want, that's the impression that I want to make, that we're, we're this nice little family. Um, things, um, did get worse though, before they got better. And, um, for many years we lived in the same house, but basically in, in marriage encounter, they call, they call it married singles. Mm -hmm. We, we, we did the business of the family, but we were, we avoided talking, touching and even acknowledging each other. And at a certain point, we stopped sleeping together. Uh, we were both very responsible people, so on the on the surface we looked really functional, but there was a deep emptiness and a sadness between us. I also want to say that I, I found it difficult to deal with my feelings. I was often very lonely in my marriage, and I didn't know where to turn for comfort. Um, there were many ways that I tried to avoid uncomfortable feelings. I would use alcohol early on, food, busyness, blaming, and finally for many years, I was just numb. Early on, I didn't realize that I was responsible for the way that I felt. No one could make me feel lonely. It was a choice that I made. In my other 12-step program, I began to learn how to take responsibility for my feelings. I no longer waited for Russ to fulfill all my needs. And when we were first married, I actually had the fantasy that this relationship, and it's a, a not uncommon, as mm-hmm. I understand, it's one of the stages of marriage, that there's this illusion that suddenly, you know, this is this marriage is going to take care of everything. Mm. And, um, of course, that's not true. We know that. So um, um, w- things did improve, and uh, about seven years ago, well, seven years ago, probably it was September, Russ and I went on a holiday to Utah. And by that time, we were um, getting along, and we really had a great holiday. We did, it was a hiking holiday, and uh, we kind of got to know each other. Uh, I remembered why I had married him, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a softening kind of holiday. And when we got back, what happened was... Um one of my daughters told us about recovering couples anonymous she said have you ever heard of that mom I said, no and i said to russ that was thanksgiving thanksgiving was coming up that weekend and she said the first meeting in uh, in um, calgary is going to happen at uh, wild rose united on thanksgiving day and we were busy and but i said to russ what do you think about what do you think about this what do you think about going to this uh, Program, and um, he said yes, very willingly. Mm-hmm. Some of the marriage encounters that I suggested, and some of the other things to improve our marriage that I had, he was there was some resistance, but he was very willing. And I think that was the holiday that helped with mm-hmm. that. And so we started going to RCA, and we never we never looked back. Mm-hmm. We kept going to RCA, and it just made a huge difference in our lives. So it's, it changed our lives in many ways. Things have gotten a lot better. Um, Our intimacy, communication, caring, and commitment to one another, these are all the promises that RCA uh, has, and all of those have improved. And um, I never dreamed that we could be in a program together and that our lives could improve this much. I think, do you want to do your part? Yeah. About how how it was and what happened? And then I'll go on with how it it is now later.
2: Um, I think you should just finish. You
1: want to okay. just, finish, finish. you might, you might want to knock that out of there. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I just thought it might be, it might provide for a change of voice mm-hmm. or whatever, okay. but yeah. Okay.
0: Every once in a while I can just go, bah. <laughs> <laughs> just to interrupt it, I guess. I can just go, oh, okay. okay, all right. You're doing wonderful.
1: Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Thanks. <clears throat> so how, how is it now? So as I said, we've been in RCA for seven years, and I have to say that Marriage Encounter and Love Circle were very helpful in giving us some tools for navigating our coupleship. But I think both of us would agree that nothing has helped us as much as RCA has. So the way that I want to talk about how it is now is by focusing on the three legs of the program. Uh, Russ mentioned the three-legged stool which is our symbol and it's the, the legs stand for commitment communication and caring and uh, so uh, what I want to do is share some of the ways that in all three of those areas that our, our relationship has improved so in terms of commitment um, so in every in every program there's a bottom line in AA a person needs to get sober in NA they have to get clean in OA They need to be abstinent, and an RCA couple needs to be committed. That's their bottom line. Mm -hmm. So for myself, on a certain personality scale, I am in the most loyal quadrant of the population. So when I got married, I believed it was a covenant marriage. Mm -hmm. I'm a Catholic, Mm -hmm. uh, and um, for me... Um, it meant not just, you know, saying words between each other. It was a covenant before God. And so in the most challenging time of our marriage, it wasn't necessarily love for my partner that kept me there. Mm. It was this belief that we made these vows before God. Mm. So um, also, pre-RCA, we learned, we did some book studies with our love circle, and one of the really important things that I learned about commitment then was something called closing the exits we were reading a book called uh, getting the love you want by Harville Hendricks and uh, closing the exits was uh, it's a concept um, that you may not really be committed as committed as you think Mm -hmm. you are and so with the process, I realized that I had one foot in the marriage Mm. and one foot out. And psychologically, emotionally, I was not all in. Mm. And um, there was a process that we went through and I closed the exit. Mm. And I, um, I, I think there was a time I was looking for that easier, softer way for our marriage. There wasn't an easier, softer way. There were some hard things that we had to look at. And um, so, um, and and, uh, turning around and facing in to our coupleship, we had to find the solutions together. We had to look at these issues and deal with them, which is something that we had been avoiding. Finally, when I asked... Uh, Russ, if he was willing to try the program, as I said, he said yes. Without any conditions, without reservation, he said yes. And we have learned that willingness is is everything. Like if a couple is willing, Mm -hmm. you can do amazing things in your coupleship. Um, No matter how dysfunctional it has been. Things get better if we just follow and then we go on to the four big ones, which are going to meetings working the steps, getting a sponsor couple, and getting into service together. Those are the four big ones. And I think that's true of, anyway, the 12-step programs that I'm familiar with. So communication. Um, So we've learned a lot about communication in RCA. In fact, I think this is probably the aspect of the program that has had the biggest impact on our marriage. Our ideas, for example. About conflict, my ideas about conflict have changed dramatically. We both avoided conflict in the past. Uh, I avoided it because I was, because of the way I was raised. Uh, Getting angry was not considered; it was considered unsightly in a woman. Mm -hmm. So instead of learning how to express anger appropriately, I learned to suppress it. I learned many dysfunctional ways of dealing with inappropriate behavior. I learned to tolerate it. I minimized it, justified it, ignored it, and avoided it. And I learned to get my needs met in dysfunctional ways by manipulating passive-aggressive behavior and drama. And I had no idea how to set boundaries or ask directly for what I wanted and needed. So we learned in RCA that it's okay to have respectful conflict. And that was like... Really, and there's some readings we have there about, about in, in fact, encouraging, you know, conflict doesn't. Yeah. So we learned, but we learned how to navigate that. I think that before we didn't know we had conflict, but we didn't know quite how to deal with it, yeah. other than dysfunctional ways of dealing with it. Yeah. And this gave us some tools. One of the tools is learning to use I statements. Mm-hmm. Um, for example. When you're tailgating, I feel nervous and scared, so I would like to ask you not to do that, so that it's not blaming him, mm-hmm. but it's asking for what I need. Mirroring each other was another one, and um, that that sure helps you understand your partner. Uh, you can't be uh, when you're mirroring someone; you can't be planning your rebuttal. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta really be listening Mm -hmm. and so that was an that was an incredible tool that we used um also when things get heated which they didn't generally with us we we didn't fight in the tradition we didn't throw things and Mm -hmm. we didn't yell and we didn't do that we were what we did was if there was a problem we'd go into this deathly silence Uh, We're both introverts, and so he would, and sometimes these silences would go on for days. And then after a few days, it was like we wouldn't deal with it. It was still there, but we'd move on. And so it's still there, Mm -hmm. the problem. Um, Oh, another thing. So another tool when things get heated is that you can call for a timeout. And one of the things they say in RCA about timeouts is that you don't just leave the, the, the conversation. Mm-hmm. You you ask for it. You say, you know what, I'm really getting upset right now, mm-hmm. and I need some time. And it doesn't mean I'm abandoning. One of the things we say is it doesn't mean I'm abandoning the relationship mm-hmm. or this topic. I just need some time to... to, uh, to uh, you know, to to get calm. Mm -hmm. Um, Sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah. 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 (laughs) So another thing that, another tool that I think is unique to RCA is um, safety guidelines. Mm. This is part of our meeting format and includes such statements as it's okay to feel. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to have respectful conflict. It's okay to have needs and ask for them to be met. It's important to respect others, to avoid self-righteous statements, baiting or button pushing statements, case building statements, and the taking or sharing of another person's inventory. It's important to respect ourselves and to avoid self put downs and self pity, and on it goes. Um, and we say that right in the right in our meeting format, and uh, uh, make sure that we try, we st- we strive as couples yeah. in the meeting to follow these safety guidelines. Also, another tool that we use in our meeting, and we do it now, as a, uh, we do it daily, Russ and I do it daily, we meditate daily, and one of the things that we do is a 10-step check-in. And the 10-step check-in, there's two questions that we answer. We answer the question, what have I done to harm the coupleship? And what has my partner done to benefit or enhance the coupleship? And before RCA... I found it very easy to uh, to say these are the questions that I would say is what have I done to help the, the coupleship mm-hmm. and what has my partner done to harm it? Mm-hmm. So this is like counterintuitive. Yeah. And a lot of couples initially find this hard to do <laughs> because it's not the way that it's been. Mm-hmm. Attending and sharing at meetings has helped our communication as well. When we first started going to meetings... I had to muster the courage to speak, especially being vulnerable about, you know, about what was secretive, really, Mm -hmm. before. Um, And sometimes sharing vulnerably in front of others preceded sharing vulnerably with each other. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when Russ would speak in the meeting, I'd hear things that I never heard before. And so we got to know each other better, Through the meetings, Mm -hmm. um, actually. Um, And so over the years, our sharing has become more and more vulnerable Mm -hmm. as we trust each other more. And um, we now see each other as allies and not the enemy for the most part. (laughs) So um, caring is the next one. This, this is the third leg of the stool. And it's also, for me, is about intimacy. So according to the basic step, RCA is first and for, foremost a 12-step program. Working the steps of RCA together as a couple offers a unique recovery experiences experience. So um, in, uh, in the first few steps, we shared a lot about our family of origins. A lot of it we knew. Some of we didn't, and we also discovered a common higher power. We all have different higher power, and and we there was a process whereby we came up with a common higher power. Uh, reading and working the steps, um, we we made a contract at the beginning of ma- of working the steps. Uh, we didn't have a sponsor at the time. We were ready to get into them ourselves, and we wrote a contract that we would. Uh, that we committed to, there was a template in the in our in the RCA, and we were going to do it in 12, 12 months, mm-hmm. uh, a step a month, and um, it took us a long time. It took us longer than that. It took us uh, the first time that we did the steps. It took us twenty six months, mm-hmm. and um, what we did, we're retired, and so we set aside every Friday morning for a step work, and then we end it with what uh, is called a gentleness break. And um, we were reading, we've read different resources, and in one of them we read about this gentleness break, which is the idea behind that is that you reward yourself for doing the work mm-hmm. by doing some something fun and recreational together. And... Um, um, so... It, RCA step work has helped us address subjects that we thought were unsolvable, mm. and they talk about unsolvable issues that every couple has. And um, what's, that, what's rest- an
0: example of an unsolvable issue?
1: Well, money, money, okay. sex, yeah, um, uh, division of labor. Mm. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Rhett?
2: Well, those are the coupleship challenges, right? Yeah. Power, are. power issues, resentment, attempting to control. Partners, family, in-laws, yeah.
1: Ch- parenting—that's another. Those are other issues as well. Okay. So, um, our one of the big um, one of the one of our big issues was um, intimacy, like s- sexual intimacy as well. And uh, we had put that on the shelf. That was something we did not talk about mm-hmm. anymore. We had been there, done that, over and over again. Yeah. And uh, RCA helped us in step seven. They actually had a twelve-step step, step prog- process of taking a look at some of these issues that were off the sh- off the radar. Yeah. Like you're not going to go there, and it helped us to gently start taking it down and starting to look at um to look at the issue. And we even it took a, it took time. It is taking time. Yeah. But uh, we uh, within we actually spoke at at a at an international convention about our unsolvable issue when it still when it still was unsolvable, mm-hmm. and so many couples could relate because every couple has unsolvable issues or what has been deemed that. Right. Um, one of the things I want to mention is couple shame. And. Um, We've dealt with that. Russ and I, couple shame, couple shame keeps us all isolated, and uh, the RCA meetings uh, offered an opportunity to be social, something that both of us avoided over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, addiction is a disease of isolation, and for many reasons we avoid and fear other people. In fact, our promises say fear of people will leave you. Mm-hmm. Um, so. We have made conscious efforts to be more social, inviting people over, going to the theater with friends, going out to dinner with RCA friends. And um, one of the things that we were on a committee uh, with WSO called um, Growing the Fellowship. And um, it was about why aren't our meetings growing? How can we grow our meetings? Mm-hmm. And one of the big things that oh, I think my big takeaway from that whole year. Was that we have relationships with people, we um, learn how to um, uh, we learn how to socialize because that's something that that we avoided um, early on. Building relationships uh, is part of what RCA offers as well, and I just want to end by saying that. Um, when I was first married, as I said before, I really thought that magically somehow marriage would happen. I don't know, the media, whatever, all the things. I really thought that this was, my life was going to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that, and I've learned that it's hard work. Mm-hmm. It's hard work. Uh, but we have support and we have... Uh, with RCA uh, it's amazing what has happened for us so it's a program I recommend highly
0: right on thank you so uh, you might actually answer this but I'll ask it anyway before I forget the question what is the difference between RCA uh, marriage engagement encounter encounter marriage encounter and the love circle what are the like the fundamental differences between these programs
1: well, marriage encounter is just a weekend. Okay. It's an intense weekend. There's speakers, you know, couple speakers, okay. and and uh, they they take you through like you one of the one of the tools they have is writing love letters to one another, okay. but not just frivolous love letters, love letters on specific topics, mm-hmm. and so you you start dealing with some of the issues that you have in your coupleship, yeah. and uh, so it was an intense weekend, and it was great, but. Uh, there was, uh, well, and the love circle is something that's ongoing. Mm-hmm. Like couples that were in the marriage encounter, what they could do was um, they could get together with other couples oh, okay. and decide that, you know, we're going to get together and we're going to have a program. And There mm-hmm. was a program that they offered. And once a month, we would get together with these couples and take turns presenting. And then we'd also take turns for something called a ten ten, okay. which was 10 minutes of writing on a particular topic. And then ten minutes of sharing with just your partner. And then there would be a group sharing afterwards. But and it was helpful. You know what? It helped us keep our marriage together mm-hmm. in the in the rough times. So that's that's marriage encounter, love circle, and RCA is way more.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like going just deeper. It's
1: way more. It's yeah. going deeper. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah.
2: Cool.
0: Yeah. I, yeah, I just wanted
2: to kind of get that clear
0: in my own head. Yeah, Thank yeah. Thank you very much, Russ. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, Thank fine. Thank you very much, Annie. Yeah,
2: yeah. thanks, okay. thanks, Annie, for your sharing. So I'm Russ in recovery with Annie. Hey,
0: Russ.
2: And uh, Annie said a lot of great stuff. <laughs> and, so Annie and I are committed to the RCA program because it's helping us have a deeper and more open and honest relationship. That is why we are willing to step forward and share our experience, strength, and hope. Because of what we have found in RCA, we can say that RCA offers a message of hope to any couple who may be struggling in their relationship. Our RCA RCA Calgary group is actually called Together in Hope. Now, I've been a skeptical person in my life and I can't say I believe in miracles. However, I never dreamed that we could be in such a good place as a couple, and it is as close to a miracle as it gets, I suppose, because we had the willingness to work the RCA recovery program together daily. Undoubtedly, one partner in a relationship may be less willing than the other partner to attend such a recovery group. It takes courage and willingness and a desire to remain in a committed relationship. And as Annie said, working in recovery is hard work. Anyway, I'm also glad to have learned uh, that it's never too late to get recovery. We, When we joined RCA in 2012, we'd been married 36 years. And we attended our first meeting in October of 2012, which was the second meeting that the meeting was founded by a young couple the week before we attended. So there was just the two couples on our first meeting. Oh, wow. So it's a small organization. Yeah. And group getting a bigger group has, has been a struggle for, for our group locally. Mm. I want to talk about how it was, um, what I brought to our, our marriage. There was my addiction, my alcoholic addiction. Other dysfunctions, uh, displays of indifference, showing lack of caring and communication. Um, And those are the kind of things I brought in to our marriage. But I think our primary goal today when we talk about this is to focus more on what it's like now because of what RCA has taught us. Mm -hmm. And a bit about my family of origin. My parents uh, raised my older brother, Tom, and I. Um, I got messages. The way I I remember this, the messages I got were... um, certainly to minimize issues, to deny, uh, not talk about issues, avoiding conflict, isolating. My parents, I think, uh, as a couple, tend to keep to themselves. They saw their relatives maybe on Christmas and Easter kind of thing, but they pretty well kept to themselves, and I think I picked that up. I became a loner and an isolator myself. So we didn't talk about feelings. Um, Denial, there was little overt affection displayed by my parents, but, you know, the bottom line is I still think they did the best they could uh, raising us because they had their own family of origin baggage that they had to deal with or wanted to avoid perhaps. Now, there was a lot of alcoholism on my dad's side of the family. His brothers and uh, his uh, sisters-in-law, were a lot of them were alcoholics. And on my mom's side, there was I don't think there was much drinking at all. Now, I don't think my dad was an alcoholic, but we found it later. My brother certainly was. And it became apparent that I had the addiction myself. And in terms of denial in our family, uh, after we were married, we went up to visit my parents. They were living in Edmonton. We were in Calgary. And we went for a walk with my dad. And he said, you know, don't talk about your brother's alcoholism in front of your mother because she gets upset. So it was the elephant in the room she didn't want to recognize. And there was, there was no physical or sexual abuse in our family, but part of the story I have about my parents is that they seem somewhat indifferent towards us. There was no overt affection, as I mentioned. I mentioned uh, They kind of loved us from afar, rather than overtly telling us they loved us. And that's the story I started to tell. Whether it's true or not, that's just kind of the perception I, I've gathered from looking back. Even now in our relationship between I and, I and Annie, uh, I have resentments. And I still blame her for a number of things. And a lot of the blame is unjust, of course. And I suppose that that, that, that blaming and resentment comes honestly because my mom was good at holding resentments. Uh, part of my mom's story that she told about her herself growing up, that she was the good daughter to her mother. Mm. And unlike her sister, Anna, and without going into the details of what went on, it was apparent that my mother held onto her resentments toward her sister that lasted for decades and was never dealt with. So through RCA, I have learned to voice my resentments to Annie. So bringing them out into the open and being honest about them is helpful. In RCA, we strive for progress, not perfection. So speaking about them, maybe I still have the resentment, but talking about them, getting into the open is is the, the progress that's there. And uh, when I was growing up, I only remember one fight between my parents when I was about 14. My mom said to my dad, you're making my life miserable. And it was about his drinking, I'm sure. And as I said earlier, I don't know if my dad was an alcoholic, but he went through a number of years of heavy drinking. So drinking was one of the issues in their relationship as well. I was closer to, closer to my mom than to my dad. For, my, for his job, my dad traveled quite a bit, so there was some fairly long and regular absences from the house. And also my dad was, uh, I guess, older than what's typical today. He was 41 when I was born, so we didn't do a lot of things together, whether uh, I got the, I guess I sort of felt that him and I should play catch or do something together, and there was none of that. And maybe he never did that with his father. Maybe that was not something he was uh, skilled at doing either. But there was this lack of a close bond between us. But uh, my dad was a regular Bible reader, and uh, he read it on a regular basis. And somehow. Uh, about that, about that age, uh, we got together in the evenings and read the Bible together, just reading to each other. And I don't know exactly how who started, how it was started, but uh, I'm sure it was uh, a sort, sort of both of us trying to feel closer to each other. You know, my teen years, I I never dated girls. I had uh, a lot of low self esteem issues, lacked confidence, was shy and fearful. I had a couple of close male friends, uh, but in ret- retrospect, I wasn't good at doing my part. To maintain those friendships, I didn't nurture the relationships. I was totally under-responsible, and uh, under-responsible was, uh, as it turned out, how I was in our marriage in the early years, too, just not doing my part. And uh, in 1975, my I had a close friend, Rick, and he got Annie and I together for the first time. He had organized a bunch of us to go out for pizza and beer. We were living in Edmonton, and Annie was actually working uh, near Red Deer. And uh, so I agreed to meet this girl, and uh, I actually had a few beers before I arrived. Um, anyway, we had kind of a few laughs. I don't know really, we really talked much that, that uh, night in the, in the Pizza Hut, but um, I invited some of them, including Annie and Rick, back to my apartment to sit around and listen to music. And at the same time, I was planning to get a newer, larger apartment, so I invited Annie to the housewarming that I was planning. And it probably seemed to Annie that I was inviting her on a date this invitation to the housewarming was her coming as my date, and I that was over my head. I didn't think of it like that. Um most people would. Yeah, so except for
0: the other two guys that are here, we're like, Yeah, we get you, man. Yeah, they're well okay. <laughs> totally would have missed that too. I don't know.
2: But anyway, so anyway, um so the evening was progressing and and Rick came to me and said, You know, Annie's left. So I, I said, Oh my god. So I ran downstairs. Oh, I took the elevator down. It was nineteen floors. The elevator down and I caught up to her outside the building and convinced her to come back in and uh she came back and as it turned out, obviously for us i I was glad she changed her mind and uh, but my lack of experience what I'm getting at my my lack of experience was certainly evident that night. I was naive about relationships with women after this kind of bumpy start to our relationship we began we began to see each other regularly. there was some when I would go down to visit her in red deer, she was teaching in red deer. There was some awkwardness between us when we got together, but we worked we worked out a system and became came closer after those. I uh, was down there for months, I guess, every weekend. It was a great experience. So our relationship developed for a few more months, um, and likely I think we'd stopped drinking during that period. That was Annie's. Annie mentioned the accident, so we hadn't been drinking at that time. So that was probably helpful in our relationship. And in January, January 1976, we got married. We kept the wedding small for financial reasons and also because Annie was pregnant with our son. Back in those days there was no requirement to take any marriage preparation course, so I certainly wasn't prepared for what marriage was going to be like was going to be like, so I was pretty clueless again. Um, so for the first few years of marriage there was very little drinking. I think we were more social drinkers at the time. I was busy at my job and I was a workaholic, always was, always have been. I spent a lot of my energy at my job and didn't have much left for my family when I came home. We didn't communicate well, and Annie started to try to fix us. I didn't do anything. I left it up to her. I thought that was a woman's job anyway, to fix the relationship. And she talked about our first marriage encounter. We went to our first marriage encounter seven years into our marriage. And I wasn't a willing participant. Especially when I found out it involved writing about my emotions and feelings. The weekends were intense, I recall, and a new and a new experience for me. But the effects, the, the high of, of the weekend and being close, wore off for me pretty closely, pretty pretty quickly, and by Monday morning I was back in the old patterns. So over the next twelve to fifteen years we went on we went to three more marriage encounter weekends and also tried some counseling, which I, I hated. I didn't want to talk to any counsellor and talk about my problems with a stranger. So there was resistance there as well. And for me, what had started out as social drinking early in our marriage became more and more a serious drinking problem. And this escalated into drinking while driving to and from work and drinking at work. I suppose I was lucky that I wasn't found out and lo- lose my job. I was a good provider financially and I was fairly, a fairly functional alcoholic and was adept at keeping it under control and a secret from everyone, including Annie and our children. So I was an isolator, a loner. I drank alone. I could, you know, uh, I was good at hiding the empties, getting rid of the empties. It was uh, it took a lot of energy to, to, to do that. Um, Annie knew there was something wrong, but she couldn't identify it, and I wasn't about to tell her. So I was free to drink, especially when I went away on business trips. When I was home, I was emotionally unavailable to Annie and her kids. I was a very poor father figure was indifferent to them at times and was absent emotionally and physically and entirely under-responsible in helping to raise them. So as Annie mentioned, eventually uh, it all became too much for me and in January 1999 I, I confessed that I'd been drinking secretly for more than a decade, from the time I was 40 to the time I was 50. So while becoming sober was a huge benefit, it wasn't enough in itself. I was still a workaholic and continued to put all my remaining energy into my job. I guess I had more energy now. I didn't have to worry about uh, the drinking part of it. So our lives together were better without alcohol, but our communication and intimacy still needed a lot of work. Annie mentioned we had a support group of couples that formed out of our last marriage encounter. And we, were, we met with these, and we've been meeting with these couples every couple of months since the early 1990s, almost 30 years. We read couple-related literature together and would take turns doing a presentation to the group. And it was valuable and rewarding to be part of like-minded couples. But it wasn't until the fall of 2012 that we found RCA and things started to really improve in our relationship. Upon joining RCA, I, my higher power that is, found me a new willingness to want to improve our relationship. I was in the process of retiring about that time, so I found I could redirect my energies into my marriage that I had neglected for so many years. So since RCA, some of the milestones in our RCA journey, um, some of the facts, I guess, we have this beautiful local face-to-face meeting right in this church every Sunday. Um, we attended our first convention, our first international convention in 2013, and we found our sponsor couple, who is still our sponsor couple after six years, and we have a monthly phone call with them um, we've worked the steps several times in RCA, and uh, in 2014, we made our first amends to our children as a couple, and uh, I remember having expectations of what that would be like, um, probably really wishing for forgiveness, and it was very un- an unreasonable expectation because of all the the years of me not being there for them. How could I expect forgiveness after you know, making some amends in like a 15- or 20-minute monologue, how could I expect them to forgive me for that? And of course, some of them didn't. And uh, it was a very good lesson learned for me. We attended our second international convention in 2015 and facilitated a workshop on our major unsolvable issue that Annie mentioned, our physical intimacy. Uh, that had been an ongoing issue in our coupleship for many years. We had slept apart for years. And I was very resistant to wanting to talk about our intimacy issues. But things slowly improved uh, since 2015 because we had been working the steps. We were probably in step four or five by that time. And, uh, more, of course, more recently we've made even greater progress uh, in the last year uh, since we've been reading a book along with our sponsor couple. And this book, the book is called Passionate Marriage. And the improvements in our physical intimacy have been truly amazing, especially at our age. <laughs> so, we're in service in RCA, uh, service to our home group. I remember our first duty and it still is laying out the literature. Nice fan fold of the brochures, you know, and it make it look really nice. Uh, we chair the meetings sometimes. We're, we're outreach, we do some outreach. We're outreach rep- representatives for the Canadian RCA groups. We're in local outreach in our community. Uh, RCA committee service, growing the fellowship, Annie mentioned. We did facilitate a monthly phone and step study for three years. We've sponsored, we sponsor, we sponsored and do sponsor other couples in RCA. Uh, we've we facilitate, we facilitated annual work, workshop, annual convention workshops. We've done some retreat planning for local retreats, and uh, these are things that I that we never dreamed we would do together. It's unbelievable. Now, one of the, uh, our, like I mentioned, our local RCA group is quite small, and we've struggled to attract new couples. Uh, the last few months, ever since Recovery Day in September, we've uh, we've actually um, got a couple of new couples that have joined us. So we've actually moved to a bigger room. So we actually have five couples right now, oh, right which is better than the two or three that was for the last yeah. number of years. So you know, couples come and go. And yeah. uh, we've maybe had, that, there's been dozens of couples who have come into the room and Some of them stay for uh, a meeting. They can't take it. They leave. They can't. They don't come back. Some last for a week or two weeks or or months. But some of them uh, just don't don't come back. It's it's hard work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, anyway, our local group now is is about five couples, and exciting to be exciting to be part of it. So uh, just to go over some of the RCA tools uh, we've uh, talked about, I guess uh, just to to recap, sponsorship like all other twelve step. Program sponsorship is a key component of RCA. The difference is that a couple in RCA is sponsored by another couple from RCA. So the sponsor-sponsee meetings consist of four people, always. Mm-hmm. We never we never talk individually, one couple, one member of a coupleship to another member of the other coupleship. It's not allowed. Everybody has to be on the same page and hear everything the same way.
0: That seems like a very reasonable rule, considering.
2: It is, right. it is. Or a
0: guideline, I should yeah,
2: say. Yeah. It's a guideline, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Can you imagine if the if women start talking to each other and there can be, you know, uh, gossiping or whatever, mm. and that can be really harmful Absolutely. to the coupleship? So, yeah,
0: or or alternatively, the man and another woman. Yeah. yeah yes. Because that's I mean, exactly. that could happen quickly and easily, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. So the sp- so we, we point out uh, to the sponsees that the sponsoring couple, we're not there to fix their relationship, the sponsees have to do the work. RC sponsors are just to witness the couple's working of the 12 steps, encourage and support them, and try to keep them accountable to the program, and most importantly, assure they're they're faithful to the RC safety guidelines that Annie mentioned. Mm-hmm. Certainly about being respectful in, respectful, uh, in conflict. Uh, I think I've talked about service. It's the same as other, all other 12-step programs. Setting out the literature, setting up tables and chairs, chairing the meeting, local outreach, be on committees. I've so, said that before, I guess. Um, one of the specific tools of RCA is a meeting of two. So if one partner feels they they need to sit down and talk about an issue with their partner, it's kind of a formal process. They, you know, they ask them, would you be willing to have a meeting of two? And the other partner agrees, and then they agree on a time and place to talk about a certain issue. And they get together, and they would start off by saying the serenity prayer, reading the safety guidelines, and then going through the issue mm-hmm. in a respectful manner. So it's kind of a formal kind of thing. And we've sort of done something similar. But what we've done in this group, in this church, is when when we're the only couple that turns up, which can happen, mm. holidays or whatever, we carry on with the meeting. We just go through, we do the readings, the regular readings, the safety guidelines. We pick a reading, we read the reading, we share on the reading. So we just go through a regular meeting format because we're there anyway. And it's good for us, certainly good for me, in terms of the structure that it provides. Mm -hmm. It's there's safety in that structure for me, you know, having that regular meeting in a regular format. Uh, In step seven of RCA, there's uh, where we get to uh, talking about making agreements, written agreements or contracts within the coupleship. And uh, some of them are like uh, a fair fighting contract. You could call it a healthy healthy conflict resolution if you want. Intim- an intimacy contract I mean it could be as I mean uh, to be honest our, our intimacy is scheduled in our relationship that's mm-hmm. the way we found it to work. Yeah. There's you know that kind of shows a lack of spontaneity but we do we do have some physical intimacy but it's on a kind of a scheduled basis mm-hmm. so that may be part of some other couple's uh, intimacy agreement. Mm-hmm. Um, what else there's division of labor in the home that mm-hmm. can be an issue. Who's who's going to do what? Who's cleaning what? Uh, parenting, recreation, and dating. Some couples even have a driving contract. They they have issues when they're driving together. Um, and I could I could admit I have a resentment toward the way Andy drives sometimes, and she probably has it uh, the same thing about the way I drive. So, you could people who need to could couples could have a contract to mm-hmm. try to maintain civility in those situations. Yeah. It helps to avoid conflict. So uh, just. The last little part here was uh, talking about coupleship challenges, and in the in the basic text we have, uh, I think Annie mentioned some of them that are very common. The coupleship challenges that face most couples: money, sex, children, power issues, fear, resentment, attempting to control one's partner's one's partner's behavior, partner's family, communication, no mutual interests. So those are the the challenges that uh, a lot of couples have, and I can we can relate to most of those. And our local group challenges, just to finish off here, getting couples to keep coming back. Um, in our meeting format, we ask that newcomer couples attend at least six meetings to give the program a chance. Uh, some of them, we say that, but some of them don't don't come back. Some couples attend their first meeting and get scared off, or maybe they come for a week or a month, and they find it's too painful or just too much work to continue. So it takes a lot of courage, willingness, and commitment to to keep coming back. Yeah, no. know. Yeah, so that's sort of the tools of RC that uh, there's others, but we'll, I think it's probably enough for now, eh? So thanks.
0: Yeah, of course. You're welcome. Um, so just, uh, like, I'm just going to throw it out there, like to anyone who's listening, who's either a couple in recovery, because I know lots of people who get coupled up with other members of recovery from some group or another, right? Um, I'm just going to recommend they come and check it out. Uh, because like not only obviously you're talking about stuff that is very relevant to any human who's with another human, right? Um, what do you guys, do you know why it's hard to get new couples? Is it, and you guys would know better than me. Is this is why I'm asking. you.
1: Well, you know, we were, we were on that committee with WSO mm-hmm. yeah. and we talked about it every month about why. And, and uh, one of the things in an individual program, it's one individual that makes a decision, right? And they're willing, okay? Mm-hmm. So they got to go. But when you've got a coupleship, there's two people that have to commit to it. Yeah. And it's true that I think it's I think it's true that it is women that are the ones that are that want to fix the relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm not sure uh, you not. know. Uh, and very often there's resistance to mm-hmm. that. I think then. it's
2: more than double as double as hard as an individual thing. It's 10 times as hard to get a couple to come to a meeting so together because there's so much baggage between them perhaps that um, they don't want to ju- they want to talk about it. Yeah. One of them is not going to be willing and it's just too painful.
0: I'll tell you what though, the next sponsee I get that decides to get into a relationship before the years up, I'm sending him to you guys.
2: Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. I'm going
0: to send them I'm going to send them there and don't get me wrong, like I myself and my partner, we've thought about it as well because um, we, we, do you find, so this is where I'm getting going with this. We've often discussed it, uh, but we haven't reached any of those, uh, moments where there's something we can't discuss yet. Right. So we're kind of still in the first few years of our relationship. So do you find that there's, it's more likely to have like couples who've been together for a long time come in, or do you have a variety of couples when you get them?
1: Well, like younger versus- you know what? I want to say this, that, um, Couples who uh, they don't have an individual program or they're really raw, let me put it that way, Um, they they find it too hard Mm -hmm. to be working on their coupleship when they got so much stuff that they need to do with their own, you know, with their own selves. So, so there has to be a certain foundation Mm -hmm. of, uh, and I also think that people who aren't in 12 step programs, because we have had people come that don't have, that aren't familiar with 12 step programs. So that makes it even harder, harder, because when you have, when you have an idea of what a 12 step program is, then you're more likely to benefit from it, you know? Well, and it would Fall be also it
0: more difficult because you're trying to figure out a, not necessarily a common higher power, but you're trying to figure out a higher power while someone else is with you trying to figure out their higher power. Exactly. And, and I, I can only speak from doing it with individuals and like in, in other 12-step form, programs where it's hard enough to get one individual to focus on like the, what's actually needed to build some faith versus trying to get, your partner as well to, and I mean, obviously, that this is where my knowledge goes out the window because you're going to try not to make your partner do something, obviously, because that is always healthier and a better avenue to go down, I think, is to let them figure it out. Yeah. But when you're both in that together, how hard is it to let them figure it out? I guess is kind of my point, yeah. mm-hmm. unless you have that foundation.
1: Yeah, unless you have that. And the other the other question that you were asking was about uh, long term, more of yeah. a long term relationship. And uh, you know what? I honestly think that couples have to really get into trouble. Yeah. To really, you know, over and over again, and say, yeah. "Oh my God, we we need help here." So, very. I I would say, like, for certainly for us. It took a long time to, mm-hmm. for us to get there. To get to that point of time. Yeah, trouble. of just yeah. like, where do we go from here? Because you're always mm. trying to find your own solutions. It's like, you know, yeah. in, in, people get it coming to the individual program will come after trying this, that, and everything, you yeah. know, before they get there, before they finally get down on their knees and say, you know what? We can't do this alone. Yeah. So it's similar, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of
0: like a, you're, you're hitting a mutually agreed upon bottom almost, exactly. right? As a couple. Yeah. And if you don't, like, I mean, as alcoholic myself, and I won't speak for anyone else, but I had to reach that bottom. That was too, that was just far enough down. But reaching that with someone else is, yeah, that would be tricky. And, and to like, especially unless you have that background of time together, it would be really hard to justify it, almost, hey. Like yeah. if you hit a bottom, I think you hit a bottom with a, with a couple in the first couple of years. Most couples probably don't make it, Yeah. especially if they hit some kind of catalytic line. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. God,
2: I think I think I think that's fair. Like our current our current group, we've got a couple that's been married sixty four years. Wow. And they're they're out. still coming. They're still working on their communication.
0: That's amazing.
2: We have forty four years. The third couple is maybe in their mid-50s, early 50s. So they've got some maturity in their relationship, right? But there's so many other factors involved. Mm -hmm. And then we got a a couple of, well, one one relatively young couple, right? They're in their 30s, so. Mm -hmm. They They, were the founding They were the founders, yeah.
1: And they are, so they're amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. They're committed to the
0: yeah. Well, because I think it's kind of like AA, and I don't know if either one of you are familiar with it. I think you are, yes.
2: I went to a few meetings initially, but I'd, I'd never been a regular AA member. Yeah,
0: so, so, but even if you go into an AA meeting and you see, so as some of the young people say to me, well, I walk into an AA meeting and all there are are older people, right? So it's kind of like, okay, well, how do we get that, I mean, obviously with some of the other groups, they're bigger because they've been around for a long time and and they've got lots of people who've just come in through the door because we trust AA. We've heard it everywhere. Um, And until I came to this church, though, I had never heard of recovering couples in the Right. And I think, and this is just my opinion, having been in the 12-step programs for a few years, like what a mind-blowing potential um, aid for all the people who get together while they're in recovery right? And I mean, nobody knows bottoms like alcoholics and addicts, right? And obviously even couples who are trying yeah. to get better, like we know the depth that we can go. But to know that there's something like this out there, I, I think is, if I'd have known it years ago, I'm not suggesting that my relationships would have been better, but I would have maybe had a direction,
1: yeah. you
0: know, instead of, instead of paying a psychologist to say, okay, like should we be together or whatever we pay psychologists for to come through much the same, not that they're not necessary. I want to make sure I say that because they are, but to come to that gutting point where you're willing to do the steps with your partner, right? That's a totally different thing than sitting in an office having been counseled in relationships. Before. Well,
1: and you know, working the steps with your partner, it's it's really interesting because very often couples can't even decide who's going to hold the pencil and who's going to, you know, like yeah. they have fights about that. So it's, yeah. it's, it's just even the process of doing the working the steps together mm-hmm. is, you know, challenging. It's, it's like, you got to communicate and you got to, yeah. you know, so.
0: Well, yeah. Cause the yeah. steps are no joke. No. So no. doing it with someone else, like that's a commitment to communicate and, and all kinds of things and the yeah. caring too.
2: One of the things is I wonder when young couples come into our group, like they see these older couples mm-hmm. like us. Yeah. And one, we had one young couple that came in, and they don't they don't come back anymore now, but they said that they would prefer to know how, how that other couple that's young got 30 days of recovery, mm-hmm. not six years of recovery. They want to know how did they get to 30 days, how did yeah. they get to 60 days. Yeah. That would be more of an incentive. Mm-hmm. They would kind of migrate to talk yeah. to that person, not to older couples like ourselves so we need to get younger couples Mm. maybe our age is a detriment i don't know
0: i don't think so that's not what i'm getting at because it's the same with AA and the other rooms right it's not a detriment we i think what happens is lots of times and i'm not going to put myself in this category because i have huge respect for people who have come before me right and who come after me but there i think sometimes it's just a matter of um, the generational input right like to -hmm. for a young person to recognize what the elder might be able to teach them it's hard to pass that on right because even in AA, i i've heard young people say i don't i don't feel comfortable sharing like what do they know about my life today these guys have been sober for 50 years Mm -hmm. they have absolutely no idea what it's like to Mm be a 20 year old in 2019 Mm -hmm. or whenever it was Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think that really downplays what the elders have to offer right mm-hmm. and and i think that it's important and this is why i'm talking about it here is because mm-hmm. i want people out there to know or hear and not that i'm going to be the one to change their mind oh, yeah. right but to understand that that's important it's important because how else am i going to learn to have a 40-year marriage where am i going to get that information from yeah. except for people who've been together for 40 years right?
1: Which is becoming more and more of a rarity. It,
0: well, it is. <laughs> and I know? don't even, and you know what I'm thinking is that maybe, maybe it's not even what people want, right? Like I don't, who knows what people true, want. True, true enough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's but good. I know
0: for myself, I, if I'm going for like dating advice or relationship advice of any kind, I'm going to people who know, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to my parents. i gonna be like, how did they get mm-hmm. through this? Well, they communicate, they care, they're committed, right? Mm-hmm. Those right. Three mm-hmm. parts of the stool mm-hmm. they have it ingrained in their relationship to do those things yeah. right but I mean I didn't that's for sure um, but it in, in order to learn I'm going to have to go to somebody who knows Yeah. I'm not going to go to my buddy who is still out there practicing all kinds of stuff right mm-hmm. like I'm going to yeah. go to people who are well how did you get through that and I actually do that now to ask well how did you get through that because I don't know if I could Yeah. <laughs> you know even though you love each other and like I want to have the relationship that you guys have, to be honest, the relationship my parents have, the relationship Darcy and his wife have, right? Even though he's trying not to pay attention, right? <laughs> but it's it's these quality um, relationships that are built on the same principles yeah. that you guys are talking about. So I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you, David. Yeah, thank thanks
2: you for so much for allowing how much time. Yeah. Oh,
0: sorry. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean no. To I to cut was, you was off. just
1: gonna say uh, thank you so much for. For giving us this opportunity to get this out there, we're you know we're always looking for ways to you know let mm-hmm. people know about it because people will say, "Really,
2: yeah.
1: a recovering couples uh, you know program? Mm-hmm. Nobody's heard of it." Yeah, and, you know
0: everyone's heard of Al-Anon and exactly AA and stuff. yeah,
1: but this is so new, I suppose. Yeah. yeah,
0: well maybe it's kind of like a it's kind of like a combination of like Al-Anon with AA, putting in the we're both working on the same stuff. Right, which is like one of the things that can happen with AA and Al Anon sometimes. The Al Anon people can get pretty like bent on not doing any work because it's always the alcoholic's fault, Mm. right? But when you're in a couple situation, nobody gets to avoid the. I like that. I really like that.
2: There's only 150 groups in the world in the RCA. Really? You go on the website and you can, we should mention that as well. Mm. Yeah. Googling "recovering couples anonymous" will get you to the website. Okay, but there's only 150 groups that are registered on the RCA website, and you could assume it's 10 couples per group Mm -hmm. as an average. That's not a lot of people. Not like not compared to Al-Anon's 200,000 groups worldwide. It's just it's just so small, and it's because it's difficult to get a couple of people together to talk about their issues. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of growth. There's a lot of work required. We're lucky.
0: I think so. I, well, not just lucky. You guys like committed to it.
2: We're Lucky to have a little face face to face group too. Yeah, which a lot of people don't have.
0: Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. they're, like they're out in the they're in the r-
2: they're in a rural area away right. from a big city.
1: The the other thing that to mention too is that there are online. There's an online meetings. Okay. And there's uh phone in meetings and there's Zoom meetings that are available on the website. Oh, cool. Yeah that So, awesome. that's so important check out the website. We'll
0: put the link in the, yeah. in, the in the episode. Uh, yeah man, I'm really grateful. I'm
1: yeah, and the other that. thing is if anybody listening to this podcast uh, wants to find out more or get in touch with us, uh, you can do that by
2: Calgary at gmail.com.
0: Perfect. Awesome. So and I'm just gonna fit, close in on this. I just I was thinking about this as we're winding down here. But like the thinking about one person doing the steps, like that's daunting. Hey, so that might be another thing that kind of keeps people back from doing that is if they have done the steps before. Because see, I could see that for some of the people that I know where they're like, yeah, I'm not doing that with my partner. There's no way I'm sharing that stuff with my partner. And in fact, some of the, the messages that we send in terms of like AA and stuff is that you don't do it with your partner do you know what I mean? Like it's almost like you, you don't want to show your partner your step four. Right. Right. And that's kind of been that, um, well, it's actually it's been the teaching since I've been around. That's
1: interesting.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I've heard that and actually I've even propagated that where I, because in terms of how I understand the four and five is that telling your partner the four is just going to totally destroy your relationship. Right. Mm. But,
1: but yeah. it, I just want to say that um, you don't, we don't have to say anything we don't want to say. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, like there, it's not like we're limitless and we're, we don't, we're boundaryless. Yeah. You know, we can have boundaries in our relationship. There are certain things that are better left unsaid, you know, and, but the steps help you, um, to get to know each other and in, mm-hmm. in a completely different way yeah. Yeah. than, um uh, than, a, than, Yeah,
0: I like that. Yeah, you still have boundaries. And I like that. Yeah, for sure. It's not like you're boundaryless.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So just because the two of you are in the group together, it's not like you have no boundaries. You you can still maintain that. I'm glad you said that because I know there's probably somebody out there like no freaking way. Mm -hmm. Am I doing that if I have to disclose everything? And it's like, well, you know what? Obviously, we get to decide, right? Exactly. Exactly. Something that's going to be destructive. It's probably not helpful. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't been there yet. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you guys again. Thanks again, David. I, you're yeah, welcome. And you. I'll stop talking this time, I swear. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedoms Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.